here we go, and we are in our series on the reset button. And if it's your first week uh, that you've been here for this series, we've been talking about hitting the reset button in relationships. And that always comes through forgiveness, through reconciliation, and through restoration. And last week, we talked about the message of reconciliation uh, we could only have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We looked at Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5, and we'll only be effective at peace when we have peace with God. If your soul is not at peace with God, then how will you maintain peace in your earthly relationships? Now, today we want to talk about the method of reconciliation that Jesus gave to his followers, his gathering, his church. And so let's head for Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 18, where we will read just three verses there in Matthew 18. And I know all the kids are excited about Celebration Sunday next week. And boys and girls, make sure you invite all your friends to come for that very special day with all the things that are happening. And I really want to thank all of our volunteers who've helped throughout the summer and who are scheduled to help next week. There's no way we could have done it uh, without all of you. And uh, Mrs. Smith last Sunday introduced the need for volunteers for the fall uh, for Children's Sunday School. And if you didn't get a chance to fill out that form, you could see Jamie Smith on that. Uh, I'm also looking forward to sharing some fellowship together at the Labor Day Sunday breakfast. And remember, no classes that morning during our 9.30 hour. Everybody gets to go and have breakfast together. That also, Lord willing, will be the first Sunday for Pastor Andrew and Lauren Beck. And I know there's going to be uh, some things that we can help them with. And a, a church email went out at the end of this last week about blessing them with some food and household items or gift cards. Uh, moving all the way from North Carolina. So... That means uh, no freezer stuff, no refrigerator stuff, and uh, most of the dry goods uh, they're going to need too. So uh, don't forget about that. Now, let me give you one other way early announcement. Uh, our mission banquet this year is going to be on the evening of October 30th. And uh, so I want you to mark that date, October 30th. I don't want you to have any excuse not to be there. So I'm telling you, way early, over two months early, October 30th. And we're going to need 20 table hosts this year for this special event. And I'll tell you more about what that means in a couple of weeks. Uh, but make sure you save the date for October 30th. All right, let's read here in Matthew 18, starting at verse number 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, in this, pa in this passage, Jesus has given uh, the path to reconciliation in our human relationships. And the question always is, when you read this passage, are we brave enough to walk it? Will we actually do what Jesus has told us to do? 
And we're going to take this passage one verse at a time this morning as we talk about the method uh, of reconciliation. Of course, the notes are on your bulletin. They're on the version app if you'd like to follow along. But let me say from the outset here, uh, this message is not covering the topic of criminal abuse, neglect, molestation. Uh, if you're ever dealing with one of those issues, our pastoral team will certainly provide spiritual guidance and comfort, but we will also connect you with the proper authorities. And, and I want to say that up front, just so there's no confusion. Jesus is not asking you uh, to confront someone who has done a physical crime against you or is doing a physical crime against you at the time. That's the role of government. And now having said that, uh, first let's do verse 15. And let's look at it one more time. Moreover, if thy brother or thy sister shall trespass against thee, go and tell him or her his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now let's see this first section of the message today. Personal interaction required. Personal interaction required. Do you notice that prepositional phrase there, between thee and him alone? Did you catch that? You may want to underline that one. Between thee and him alone. This isn't something that you can ask somebody else to do for you. Uh, this isn't something you can just hope goes away. It has to be dealt with, and it has to be dealt with in the right way. And reconciliation between two people turns out best, it always does, when those two people speak directly to each other. And uh, let's talk about what qualifies here, because it says, if he trespass against thee. What does that mean? Well, Jesus had been talking about offenses in the early part of the chapter. And many uh, commentators think that the disciples were having trouble getting along with each other. Uh, and so Jesus gave them and all future believers this model. If your brother trespasses against you, if he sins against you, if he breaks a boundary through careless words or actions, if he injures your character or your person or your property then this step should be taken, and this step can never be skipped. It is always step one. Now, there are some offenses that we can and we probably should overlook. My mom used to uh, quote to us when we were kids, Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Right? And, and it means that people who love and follow God won't be knocked off course by anything, including the careless words or actions of others. And, and certainly there are some offenses that we shouldn't take too seriously, right? Uh, somebody takes our parking spot, or uh, somebody sits in the row we always sit in at church, or somebody does something that annoys us, uh, most likely not even knowing that he or she has annoyed us. Uh, Jesus isn't talking about petty little offenses here, okay? For that, uh, let me give you two words of advice, grow and up, okay? Uh, when Jesus says that someone has trespassed against you, that is something serious that has injured you, that you aren't able to set aside without a conversation, and until it is addressed, the relationship can't proceed in a normal way. 
okay? If you feel like that you have to avoid another person or walk on eggshells around another person because of something they've done, then that should be considered an offense, okay? And, and let me caution you that an offense may start because you heard that somebody said something or did something. You didn't personally see it or hear it, but somebody told you it happened. And if that's the case, then the words of Jesus are incredibly important here because his method gives the offender or supposed offender, uh, first of all, an opportunity for explanation. An opportunity for explanation. Okay? If you didn't personally hear or see it, then you should definitely be willing to listen to the other person's side of the story. Jumping to conclusions can be a big relationship buster, uh, especially when we aren't willing to hear each other out. Uh, you say, Paul, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but there's something that's been bothering me, and I wanted to speak directly to you. Okay, that's always a good start. Uh, between fellow believers, a good portion of the time, the offense may turn out to be a misunderstanding. And once it's cleared up, everybody can move forward. And uh, there's a, a story that happens uh, at the end of the book of, of Joshua. And it's really a very intriguing story. Uh, two and a half tribes had already had their property on the other side of the Jordan River. Moses had given them their property. He said, but all your men have to come with us on this side of the Jordan River and you got to fight for all your brothers and help them get their land, and then you can go back to your families. Well, they had been away from their families for seven years. And for seven years, they went through Jericho, and they went through all these cities and helped their brothers get their land. And now they've gone back home. And as soon as they got on the other side of the Jordan River, they all got together and said, hey, you know what we should do? <laughs> Excuse me, I'm going to have to do a cough drop. I apologize to all of you and to our viewers online, but it will help. Um, so they get on the other side of the Jordan River, and they said, you know what we should do? We should build a reminder altar uh, uh, that we are Israelites, so that when our children get older, they'll look at that and say, what does it mean? It would say, it means that we're Israelites, and we're with the people on the other side of the river, and we worship the same God they worship. Well, uh, the nine and a half tribes on this side of the river saw this tower go up, and they said, oh my goodness, our brothers on the other side of the river have turned away from God. They're building an altar to a false idol. And so everybody on this side of the river, they got all their war gear on, and they went down and crossed the river in boats, and they're coming to wipe out their own brothers who had just fought with them for seven years. And so they come up, and they're loaded for bear, and they're ready to attack. And they, what are you doing building this altar? How dare you go into idolatry? How dare you go against God? And Phineas, the son of Eliezer, is the spokesman, and he talks forever about, you guys shouldn't go away from God, and your children will go away from God. And finally, they gave him a chance to speak. And they said, we didn't build it because we want to go away from God. We built it to remind our children that we're Israelites and that we follow the same God they do. And Phineas said, oh, 
And the elders said, oh. And they said, well, that's actually a pretty good idea. And then all the thousands of people who came over to bite them went back across the river. Now, that is how most fights happen in churches, right? Because we don't do step one where we just talk to somebody and we give them this opportunity to clear up misunderstanding. Okay, now step one also offers an opportunity for contrition, an opportunity for contrition. If the person did say something or do something that wounded you, they're a believer. This allows the Spirit of God to move in her heart. This allows him to backtrack a little, to apologize, to make things right. And they may say, you know, now that you mention it, I was careless with my words. I, I shouldn't have said that. I can see how that hurts you. I'm sorry. And I know that the enemy wants to sneak in this argument. Okay, there's always this argument. And you've said it before. You've heard it before. Well, if she was really sorry, she would have come to me first. Right? I shouldn't have had to go find him to get this cleared up. Right? You shouldn't have. But since we're all sinners, and since Jesus instructed us to handle offenses this way, you did. Okay? Because you're trying to do what Jesus said. And, and don't let the first offense grow into an additional offense. See, sharing your hurt with another believer is what Jesus says to do. And he will always bless it, uh, whether that person graciously apologizes or not. Let me tell you what God will never bless. He will never bless this. If thy brother trespass against you, go to 50 other people and tell them what he did. Okay? If thy sister trespass against you, trash her on social media because he, she's such an awful, awful person. Yeah, God doesn't bless that. Okay? Go and tell him his fault. If the offense is bothering you, then it's on you to be courageous enough to reclaim unity in the relationship. And this brings about this third part, an opportunity for strengthening the relationship. Okay, an opportunity for strengthening the relationship. Your courage will breed courage in others. There are some adults, believe it or not, there are some adults who have never once actually done it God's way, where they've personally gone to confront someone about something because they're scared to death to do it, right? There are some people who hate confrontation. They hate it because of their upbringing, because of their circumstances. Now, there are also some people who love confrontation. <laughs> and those are some very interesting people. <laughs> they, they'll just tell you anything to your face at any point in time. And, and then some of us who are right somewhere in between where we're willing to talk about it if we have to, but we don't really like to. Uh, you know, it takes courage to do it God's way. By the way, did you know it takes courage always to do it God's way, no matter what it is? It always does. If you're going to do it God's way, you're going to have to step up to the plate and be strong and very courageous. And when you're willing to handle things in a godly way, it builds trust. 
It does. It builds trust in a relationship. And this is what you will often hear. If you talk to somebody personally about it, here's what they'll say. Thanks for coming to talk to me about this. I know it took a lot of courage. I realize you could have used this information to gossip about me. It was very thoughtful of you to speak to me first. And you can see why Jesus made the first step to be the first step. Now, the first step is not natural. Okay, the natural man doesn't respond this way. But the spiritual man does. If you want to destroy trust in your relationships, if you want to completely sabotage future interactions, then just keep acting like the natural man does. But if you want to build trust and protect friendships, do it God's way. Here's what I've found over time. When people aren't willing to do things God's way, that's an obedience problem. Okay, that's a heart issue. Your problems with other people are grounded in your problems with God. And the question is, are you willing to trust what Jesus said and lean into his words in your relationships? If you are, you'll gain your brother, you'll gain your sister. If you aren't, you will never have many real Christian friends. One thing I know about real Christian friends, they all have faults. They all cause offenses. They all make mistakes. But they're willing to own them when the conflict is handled in this way. And so step one is so important. In fact, it's important enough that if you take it, if you take step one, you will almost never have to move forward to step two. Now, I guarantee you this. You will be shocked at how well Jesus' instructions will work in your relationships. You'll be shocked. Like, you will walk away from talking to the person and say, I never thought that problem would be solved that way. You know why it was solved? You did it God's way. When you do it the way Jesus says to do it, it works almost every time. And, and this will really cut down on all the time and effort you've had to put into gossiping and being a busybody for all these years, right? Like, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Do you know there are a lot of people who spend a great majority of their life making problems worse, right? It doesn't make any sense, but they do. Like, they go out of their way, spend a great deal of time to make their own problems worse. And other people can see it. They're like, did you know you're investing a whole bunch of time into making your life worse? That doesn't make any sense, right? If there's a fire at my house, I would rather see one of my kids walk over with a fire extinguisher than I would for them to walk over with a gas can, right? <laughs> and yet, when I see people with problems so often, they're walking toward their own problem with a gas can. They're like, here, take this. Not good. And, and so yeah, this takes those things, gossip and busybody, takes it off the table. You'll have so much more time to build other people up. Now, before we move to step two, let me mention one other thing here. People who refuse to take care of offenses properly will always become secondary offenders. 
Okay? If they refuse to take care of it in Jesus' way, they will always become secondary offenders. If you aren't willing to speak directly to other people when they wound you, then you'll end up wounding other people, the majority of whom will never tell you what you did. Now, why will they not tell you what you did? Because you didn't tell that person what he did, right? And if, if I never tell a person what he did to me, how can I expect him to make good on it, to make it right? He may not have even known he did it, right? And a lot of times people don't know. They're just unaware. Do you know that when you're thinking that most people were thinking about you and how to get you, most people were not even thinking about you. They were thinking about themselves, right? It's uncanny how that is. Uh, people are talking and thinking about themselves. They didn't even know that they bothered you. And you don't want to end up wounding other people. And I know that some of you really want me to move on to verse 16 right now, which makes me think that we should just stick around on verse 15 for a while longer. Just kidding. Let me go to verse 16 now. All right, verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Let's talk about moving to group accountability. Moving to group accountability. Additional people should only be introduced to the issue when a personal path to reconciliation has been refused. Okay, you've already graciously and privately gone to the other person, and it was refused. There was no resolution. It just made things worse. And you know how proud people apologize. They say something like this. Well, if you were offended, then I'm sorry. Right? Which is not an apology at all. Right? It's actually blaming you. Uh, or maybe the person says, well, I didn't do anything wrong. You're the problem. And maybe it was the first time you tried to do it Jesus step one way. And you're blown out of the water by bitterness and anger. Maybe you're dealing with an issue that is hurting other people in your friend circle, in your family. Step two is an important step in the model Jesus gives us. It's only occasionally necessary, but Jesus gave it to us for the times when we need it. Cough drop. It's got to move to the other side. Sorry. Step two isn't about piling on to a person. Okay, it's not about attacking anyone. It's not about ganging up on somebody. It's about graciously and spiritually resolving the dispute. And you'll find that step two always has three characteristics. Okay, so characteristic one, it is for God's glory. It is for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. And if the approach doesn't bring glory to God, it might be following the letter of the law. You may be doing it this way in Matthew 18, but not the spirit of the law. You might be keeping the spiritual, uh, scriptural words, but not with a spiritual heart. Go with me to Galatians chapter 6. And in Galatians 6, we have some powerful principles 
related to confronting someone about an offense. Look at Galatians 6, and I'm going to read there in verses 1 and 2. I have these verses underlined in my Bible uh, because they are so important for, for us as believers to follow. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when we do it, uh, when we address an offense, we do it for God's glory. But we also do it with humility. Okay, we also do it with humility. Uh, Ephesians, or Galatians 6.1 lets us know that we have the potential to commit offenses of our own. Okay? And if I said, how many of you have never offended anybody in your whole life? That would be none of us. Right? At least none of us who are honest. Okay? There may be some liars out there who would raise, I've never offended anybody, and you just went and did it. Right? You just offended all of us from lying. We've all offended people, whether we did it on purpose, whether we did it on accident, we have caused an offense. And this is the spirit of meekness that it talks about in Galatians 6. Uh, we also, you see in Galatians 6, we also do it with a heart for the offender. We do it with a heart for the offender. This is a heart that desires restoration and healing. Now, I have to caution you on this particular one. Restoration, spiritual restoration, is different than reinstatement. Okay, and I'm going to explain that to you. If someone's sin or offense causes him or her to lose a position or to lose a reputation or to lose a relationship. Restoration doesn't mean that he just gets those things back when he apologizes, okay? Restoration means helping pull someone back from a simple lifestyle, uh, from, from a sinful life, lifestyle. The Greek word here is interesting. The Greek word restore in this verse means to mend a net, okay? That's what it means, to mend a net. And a restoration can eventually lead to someone reclaiming a reputation or a relationship or a position. But those things aren't the primary concern at the beginning. Spiritual health is the primary concern. Walking with God is the most important part of this. And, and most of us need some structure, some accountability in our walk with God. Uh, Christian friends who uplift. Uh, being part of a small group, being part of a serve team. When we get isolated, we make it much easier for the enemy to trap us. We always do, right? You see this uh, in documentaries uh, out in the savannah in Africa where you had of a herd of gazelles or a herd of zebra or a herd of wildebeest. And who always gets eaten? It's never the one right in the middle of the herd. Who is it? It's the straggler, right? It's the one who's isolated. It's the one who doesn't have anybody surrounding him. And those are the ones that the lion goes after first because they're the easiest prey. And it's the same way with believers. 
when you don't have people around you to do the Christian life, you make it easier for the enemy to trap you. Galatians 6 uh, is one of those cases when the, the pronouns of God's word come into play. And they show us the meaning of the original Greek. Look at this uh, in Galatians 6. It says, ye which are spiritual. Ye is a plural pronoun. Uh, ye which are spiritual. Are is a plural verb. So this is group accountability. But then in the group, each person should act with meekness, considering thyself, that's singular, lest thou, that's also singular, uh, lest thou be tempted. And it, when you move from step one to step two, you really need to prayerfully consider the one or two people you want to invite into the process. Make sure that these are people with a heart for God and a heart for others. Okay, don't just choose somebody because you think they're going to be on your team. Okay, if you choose somebody who doesn't have a heart for God to be on your team, your team's in trouble. Okay, the, the key thing here is to have a heart for God. Make sure that these are meek and humble people, not people with their own agenda, not people who will use the situation as an opportunity to leverage their own desires. Now, let's go back to Matthew 18, and we're going to take a look at the third step of the process. And the third step of the process is even more rare than the second step. Okay, so in my life experience, here's what I've seen. Uh, probably 95% of the time, step one works. Okay, out of the ones where step one doesn't work, probably 75% of the time, step two works. And then there's the tiny little sliver where we go to step three, Matthew 18, verse number 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Let's talk about what this means, moving to church discipline. Moving to church discipline. This step should only be taken when the previous attempts to reconcile have been rejected. Okay, step one's already been tried. Step two's already been tried. There's no spiritual response. There's no remorse. There's no desire in the individual to make things right. And if you read uh, verse 17, we, we find that this is a very sobering thought. This is very severe. And we aren't telling it to the church so that everybody has something to talk about, okay? We are trying one last attempt to awaken repentance in a spiritual way. And I found that most of the time when a person has pushed away from both step one and step two, they usually leave church fellowship on their own. And, and we should still pray for them and seek to provide accountability and restoration for them. But they have willingly removed themselves from the assembly. And this verse refers to that extremely rare occasion when the offender determines to remain in the church after step one, after step two have been made. And once again, we start with the proper motivation. Same as step two, it must be done for God's glory. Okay, it must be done for God's glory in meekness and humility, 
with sorrow for the offense, with support for those who've been offended. But there's something else that needs to be considered here. Uh, Church discipline is also done for church purity. Okay, for church purity. Ephesians 5 speaks of Jesus sanctifying and cleansing the church with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, Jesus knows that we can't do anything about the secret sins that are hidden deep in hearts. We don't know what they are. But we can do something about offenses that are known. When there's no repentance, when there's no desire for healing or restoration. In the Old Testament, there are some sobering passages where the congregation is called upon to do some incredibly difficult things. Okay, that's the congregation of Israel. It's a civil congregation. And they lived in a different dispensation than we do. So when I tell you about this, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just telling you how it used to be. Okay? Uh, Mom and dad, if you have a teenager, in Numbers and Deuteronomy, when there was a rebellious teenager, the first hands to pick up rocks to stone that teenager to death were supposed to be the parents. Now, that's sobering thought, right? Uh, When there was a false prophet speaking lies, the people who knew him best, his friends and family, they were supposed to pick up the rocks first to stone him to death. It was a sobering task, a most difficult task, but it was for the purity of God's congregation because God is a holy God and he cannot abide with sin. Now, there's one last thing to be considered here. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at just a few verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, (laughs) as we survey what God has for us in step three. And Paul actually had to deal with this at the church at Corinth. If you look at this, 1 Corinthians 5, verse number one, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now, fornication, the meaning of fornication is any sexual sin, okay? Any sexual sin, adultery, homosexuality, lust, fornication. Such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so that's a sobering passage. And you notice that church discipline needed to be done for the offender's repentance and or his salvation. Okay, church discipline is still something that God calls us to do, but only when step one and step two have already both been tried and both failed to get through. 
And I, I promise you that church leaders never ask to be in the middle of these horrible situations. Yeah, they don't, that's not what they sign up for, okay? They don't go to ministry school and they're like, you know what? I really want to have to church somebody. I really want to be part of a church discipline time. No, they never want to do that. And yeah, it is a horrible thing to be in the middle of. But God places leaders in the church uh, to provide accountability and direction and to promote church unity and church purity, uh, to care for the souls of men and women, boys and girls, even when those people don't care for their own souls. And it's the same for you when another person sins against you. You didn't ask to be mistreated, right? You didn't ask for the offense to happen. And yet, Jesus, in Matthew 18, gives you the responsibility in reclaiming the relationship, in gaining your brother or sister, because it could be that you are mature enough in your faith to be the one who does it. And the person who is offended may not. Now, in our faith challenge today, I just want to remind you one more time that the refusal of Jesus' method damages both earthly and heavenly relationships. In these last days, as much as ever before, we need courageous Christians who will stand for truth and purity in their own lives, in their families, and in the local church. Uh, liberal Christianity now tells us that many issues, they aren't sin issues anymore. We should not call them sin issues anymore. They're political issues. And yet, when I read the Bible, you know what I find they are? They're nothing more than wickedness, right? In fact, God calls them in many places abomination. And God doesn't say that wickedness and abomination are political issues, okay? He says that they are sin, and God does not want wickedness and abomination to be found in the body of Christ. He certainly doesn't want them to be the norm. In Revelation 3, there's this striking passage. Jesus is standing at the door of the church at Laodicea on the outside. And he's knocking on the door. It's Revelation 3.20. Jesus is knocking on the door of the church. He wants to be let into the church. Now, can you imagine a church, a Christian church where Jesus is not on the inside, right? He wasn't knocking because he needed them. He was knocking because they needed him. And when we walk away from our obligation for restoration and church discipline, we are pushing Jesus outside of the church. And, and so I hope you're with me on inviting Jesus to be in this church to be at the center of everything we do. Uh, I know these instructions in Matthew 18 are difficult, but they're also essential. And when we refuse to live them, we hurt ourselves. We hurt others. We hurt our relationship with God. And we hurt the relationship of the entire church with God. And, and so Matthew 18 has this method of reconciliation, and it's important for all of us to use this method, and, and just start with simple offenses, uh, even at your house. Yeah, I always uh, get a kick out of this, when, when one of your kids comes to tattle, okay, uh, over some little piddly thing, you could ask him, did you talk to her, did you talk to him first, okay, uh, it, it's always a good way to try, uh, to start thinking about this process. 
When kids have problems with another kid at school, did you talk to the kid? When they have a problem with the teacher, did you talk to the teacher? When you have a problem with the kid's teacher, do you go and talk to the teacher and actually have a Matthew 18 experience? Or do you go and start the Facebook group that says, this teacher was a horrible teacher, she did this, and, and then you cause this big problem, right? And at Matthew 18 works, people. It works if we do it God's way. But it takes courage. And so today as we close in prayer, that's what we're going to ask for. We're going to ask for boldness to do what Jesus has told us to do. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the instructions that are given to us by Jesus on how to handle disputes within the, the body of Christ with other believers. I thank you for giving us these instructions, and we know as we read them that it requires boldness, spiritual boldness, to do these things. And so I pray that you would give us boldness to speak to each other directly in the way that we should when offenses come between us within the body of Christ. I pray that you'd bring healing into reconciliation into relationships. And where there are wounds within this body, where there are wounds within the families, I pray that you would bring the miracle of restoration. Help us all to be humble, to be meek in our spirit as we deal with these issues, knowing that we ourselves cause offenses. And I pray that you just work in a mighty way as we think of your reset button of forgiveness and how we can use it in our lives. Bless us now through this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.